I've uh, said over the last couple months that um, uh, we are sensing, we at the Woodland Hills Church are really sensing, we're seeing this, this movement happening all over the globe of people waking up to the uh, vision of uh, a Jesus-looking God and a Jesus-looking kingdom and uh, seeing how radical the kingdom is and how different the kingdom is from uh, what often goes under the name of Christianity, Christendom, the church. And it, it's happening all over the place. And we're sensing that um, we have a role to play in that with our parishioners. Bless our parishioners. We've got ten to 15,000 every week. And uh, more and more folks are coming to us and saying, how can we partner together and I personally am feeling called to go into a season where I'm keeping my eyes open for younger people who are catching this vision and sensing I'm supposed to have some kind of a relationship there. And uh, it's, a, it's a different, cool, exciting, confusing kind of thing for me. I've never done anything like this before, but that's kind of like God. So anyways, four or five months ago, I was at this conference. I was speaking at it. It was called Change the World Conference. And uh, the, the young man who was in charge of driving me around, my chauffeur, um, uh, we, we got a, t- a chance over a couple of days to talk about theology and, and all sorts of stuff like that. And I, I really saw in this young man, uh, well, that kingdom vision, that kingdom fire, and, and a lot of potential. Um, and so... I got online, I looked at a couple of his messages, and I thought, okay, this guy's got some stuff to bring and some stuff to deliver. So I asked him to come to Woodland Hills Church. He comes up from Ohio, but uh, he came out here to share the word with us here this morning. So would you give a warm Woodland Hills welcome to Nick Cunningham, my bro, my bro. This guy's great. I love this guy. Okay. Hey, uh, pray with me here, okay? Let's pray an anointing on him. If you want to extend your hand forward this way, uh, you can do that. Father, we just thank you for our brother in Christ and uh, for the fire you put in him and the message that you put in him and the theology that you're downloading in him. And uh, God, just the transformation that you're bringing about in him and, and, and God for the potential he has to do some serious damage to the kingdom of darkness and to advance your kingdom. And so God, we pray here this morning, God, just baptize him in your spirit, uh, infuse him with your power, impregnate each word that comes out of his mouth with your authority uh, to, to ride the kingdom into our life and into our heart and in our mind and, and, and to stay there and to change us. And for all the parishioners as well, we pray, Lord God, that you just open up their hearts and minds to receive this word that, that our brothers are going to share. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen, brother. Amen. Bring it. Amen. Now I feel like your expectations are way too high. It's, it's better to be surprised and disappointed, right? So maybe, maybe I should fall down the steps or something. But I can't tell you how unreal... It is for me to be here right now. I mean, this is this is crazy. Like I've been I've been following Woodland Hills from a distance for a long time. You know what, what God is doing in the midst of you? It's a, it's incredible. You should be proud of your church. And and you know uh, God God has used your pastor to, to speak into my life in so many different ways. You know to, to really help shape my understanding of what the gospel is and, and what it means to be a part of of the kingdom. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing me to be here. With you now, now, I've heard that y'all are the rowdy crowd, and apparently, apparently, you and I are going to have some fun today. That's that's what I keep hearing. So, yeah, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter twelve. And, and while you're doing that, um, I'll share a little bit. Uh, when Greg invited me to come and preach, he said that I, I was able to preach on whatever I want. He said, "Just bring your best stuff." Well, I've I've found that that my best stuff t- tends to come out of from where I'm living. And, and what I'm experiencing at the time, and I, I'm, I'm a relatively new dad. And, and as many of you know, you clap for that. 
as, as many of you know, when, when you become a parent, this whole understanding of God just really comes to life. I grew up in the church, and so I, I heard God referred to his father all the time, and it always brought me comfort, it always drew me in, but now to stand on this side of it, you know, to actually know what it feels like to be a parent, it's like what, what I used to see in black and white, now I see in technicolor. So that's where I'm coming from this morning. I, I just want to let you in on a little bit of what I've rediscovered about God since becoming a parent. And first, I want to introduce you to my family. Here they are. Check them out. That's, uh, that's my wife, Lindsay. She's a babe. <laughs> Still have no idea how I managed to pull that off. But uh, She's from South Carolina, all right? So if you, you, whoop, whoop, if you hear me say y'all, it's her fault. Right? And that's, that's our son, Rowan Gray. 16 months old. I kid you not, he always has this look on his face. It's like, it's like everything he's looking at is the coolest thing he's ever seen. And his favorite word is, wow. Seriously. It's, it's a blast. And we found out this past fall that our little trio is going to become a quartet. Which we are very excited about. There's, there's a new baby on her way to the Cunningham family due sometime around May. So it's good news. Good news. But can I be honest? I know we just met. We're still breaking the ice. But can I get real with you for a second? I understand that getting pregnant is never an accident. It's not like you just trip and fall and oops, you're pregnant, right? There are a whole lot of specifics. If you want a diagram, I can show you later. There are a lot of specifics that go into becoming pregnant. But when my wife and I found out that we were pregnant again, it was definitely a surprise. This wasn't part of our plan, you know? After about 30 seconds of being outside of my mind excited, the reality of the situation set in. It's like, hold on a second. We're, we're still trying to figure out how to raise one kid. What are we going to do with two? This is a, another mouth to feed. This is another rear end's worth of diapers to change. This, eventually, this is another college tuition to pay for. And, and it's like, I, I just now started to get a reasonable amount of sleep how many months do I have before my right eye starts twitching again? <laughs> then, then when I found out it was going to be a girl, my brain took off in all sorts of crazy directions. It's like, we got to start saving for a wedding right now. <laughs> Maybe I could sell my body to science in advance. Is that how that works? Then that fear crept in. And I've been told this is really common for a lot of parents when they're about to have their second child. Like, how am I ever going to love another child as much as I love this one, you know? Life can be really demanding. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Any other nerds in the house? Come on. Unite. Yeah. I, I've read everything Tolkien's ever written. And I remember coming across this, this line in one of his books. It's just stayed with me ever since. But he said, essentially, you know, life can leave you feeling like a bit of butter that's been scraped over too much bread. How many of you know what that feels like? I mean, come on. We, we, all have our, we all have our various responsibilities, our, our various pressures, all the different expectations that people have on us, that we have on ourselves, our, our deadlines, our to-do lists. And we're all really familiar with that fear that there isn't enough to go around. Now, I would argue that the majority, if not all, of our worry, our anxiety, our insecurity, it comes from a misunderstanding of who God is. 
So this morning, what I want us to do is spend some time just reflecting on the God that Jesus reveals to us. With with, with the hope of of discovering and experiencing the, the joy and the peace that comes from placing all of our trust in Him. You okay with that? Y'all out there? Okay. Here's what I want to do right now. We've had a lot of fun. It's been rowdy. Y'all got so much energy. I just want to spend a moment or two just in, just in silence. You know, because sometimes I think it's easy to miss out on the fact that, that the God of the universe is here with us. And, you know, every time we come together in the presence of the living God, around God's word, there's so much potential for life change. You know, my, my hope is that we all leave here different. So let's just spend a few moments preparing ourselves to hear what God has to say and reminding ourselves that God is in fact here. And everybody said, Amen. That was nice. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 22. Here's what it says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagans run after such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Man, sometimes you just got to read the word. But tell me. If you would have been there that day in the crowd, would you have had a hard time taking these words seriously? I I know I would. Don't worry about your life, says the guy who can turn water into wine. Don't worry about your life, says the guy who can feed thousands of people with a fish sandwich. It's like, oh, that's easy for you to say. I'll tell you what, Jesus, tell you what. Perform one of those nifty little miracles and then maybe I'll think about it, right? Don't worry about your life. That's way, it's way easier said than done. I don't know where, where you are right now. Maybe you're out of a job. I'm a part of a church that's in Dayton, Ohio. It's the middle of the Rust Belt. When all of that happened with GM, a whole lot of people lost their jobs. 
Not only that, but a lot of people who used to work at GM are now working at Walmart. Huge difference. What about them? Or, or maybe your house is in foreclosure. Maybe you're in the midst of a divorce. Maybe you have a, a kid who's making a whole bunch of self-destructive decisions. Or, or maybe for you, you feel like you have the weight of an entire organization. Or maybe you have the weight of an entire family on your shoulders. See, see, the trouble with these words from Jesus is that Jesus is saying, don't worry about your life to a whole bunch of people who have a lot to worry about. But, but it's not like Jesus is just sort of pulling these words out of the air. I mean, this teaching from Jesus, it flows directly out of his understanding of who God is. Several times in this passage in Luke chapter 12 and even, even other places in Jesus' teaching, he uses this phrase, how much more? Everybody say, how much more? more? Now, this was a very typical way for a Jewish rabbi to present their argument. I mean, basically what they would do is use a lesser example to prove a greater example. So Jesus is drawing our attention to, he said, listen, listen, if God is concerned about the birds of the air, if if God is concerned about the flowers of the field, then how much more concerned is God about you and I, human beings made in the very image of God? See, Jesus is not pointing our attention to some stingy, penny-pinching God who only likes us when we're well-behaved. I mean, Jesus is pointing our attention to this outrageously generous God who has filled the earth that we live in with all of these wonderful and exciting things. You see, Jesus can tell us not to worry because he lived with this dynamic sense of the goodness of God. And he had this incredible ability to to be totally in the moment, totally in the present. And and to recognize the abundant goodness, the how much more of God in these sort of normal, everyday moments. How many of you would love to be able to do that? And and you see, what what we have to understand is that Jesus himself is the manifestation of the how much more of God. I mean, he is God's abundant goodness in the flesh. I mean, Jesus Christ is living proof that the God of the universe, get this, the God of the universe who holds all of this together is a God who expresses himself, who demonstrates his character through what he gives and not what he takes. And that's so different from how our world understands power, isn't it? Think about it. John chapter 13. Jesus is spending some of his final moments on this earth with his, with his disciples. And John tells us that Jesus had this incredible moment of clarity where where he knew that God had placed all power, all authority under Jesus. Now tell me something. What what would you do with that kind of power? Jesus got up, took on the role of a servant, and he washed his disciples' feet. Now, in this moment, Jesus is not acting out of character as God in the flesh. In this moment, Jesus is not laying aside the power and the authority of God. No, no, no. Get this, people. Jesus is showing us what it looks like. Jesus shows us who God is. Jesus shows us how God's power works by washing the feet of those who just a few short moments are going to betray him, are going to deny him, and are going to abandon him. Let me make it a little, little clearer for you. First John tells us a couple times that God 
is love. God is love. It's not just an attribute of God's character. It's a part of who God is. Then 1 John goes on to define love, and in a sense to define God's character by saying, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. What an an upside-down view of power. He's saying, you, you want to know what God is like? You want to see God's character? You want to know how God's power works? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. You see, Jesus reveals to us this God of abundant goodness. This God who gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and never stops giving. Come on now, that's a reason to wake up, right? Thought you all were rowdy. I mean, goodness gracious. And you know what? That's something, that's something to get excited about. And that is, that's something that, you know, I think we would all agree with. We, we'd agree with Jesus, wouldn't we? I think all of us in this room would at least profess a belief in this God of how much more, this God of abundant goodness. And about would argue that the majority of us, even though we say we believe in this God, we operate according to a belief in a God of scarcity. I'll prove it to you. No, we we say we believe in this God who loves us unconditionally, without reservation. And yet we spend so much energy trying to earn God's love. Trying to earn what's already ours. Or, or, Or we profess this belief in a God who is eager to forgive. Yet you and I have such a hard time forgiving ourselves and the people around us. We, we, we love to talk about the hope that we have in our God, yet we continually give in to despair and defeat. We, we love to talk about how outrageously generous our God is, yet you and I, we hoard all of our time, our energy, our resources for ourselves. Am I getting into your business yet? Here's the one that really sticks in my crawl. I guess they said that down in Texas or something. I don't know. But the one that really gets into my business, you ready for this? We love to talk about this God who has this infinite goodness, this abundant goodness, who gives and gives and gives. Yet you and I, we deal with envy and jealousy whenever something good happens for somebody else. Does that happen for you all? When somebody gets a promotion, they get the new car, they get whatever, and the first thought is, oh, that's great for you. It's, how come that never happens for me? And nobody else? Just me? <laughs> come on. Do you see the disconnect? You see, we, we profess this belief in a God of abundant goodness, this God of how much more, but we live according to this belief in a God of scarcity. It's like we think that God's goodness is like, like a limited supply. It's in some warehouse somewhere. And so we live with this fear that, that we're on the naughty list, you know, or, or that God isn't going to give us our piece of the pie. We're not going to get our fair share of God, good, God's goodness. So we live with all this worry, this anxiety, this insecurity. And the really dangerous thing about this belief in a God of scarcity is that it's, it's not very long until the spirit of entitlement creeps in. In fact, this teaching by Jesus in Luke chapter 12, it was instigated by this, this guy who comes up to Jesus and he wants him to, to deal with this issue between he and his brother over their inheritance. And basically he tells Jesus, hey, just tell my brother to give me what I'm owed. That's what entitlement is. It's this belief that we're owed something. And it blinds us to the abundant goodness of God. Because it's like I said, you know, we we tend to believe that there's sort of this limited amount of goodness. And so we work really hard to present this case as to why we deserve a piece of that pie. 
And so we make these lists. These lists of reasons why we deserve some good to come our way. Say things like, man, you don't know what I've been through. You know how I was raised? You know how my parents treated me? All the stuff that's happened to me, I deserve some good to come my way. I've been through enough crap in my life. Something good's got to happen. You ever seen anything like that before? Or, or we make these lists of why the people around us should appreciate us more than they do. And they just act like I'm not even here. I'm just paint on the wall. You ever said that one before? Or we make these lists of excuses as to why we need to have a whole lot more stuff than we actually need. You know what I mean? Oh, man, they, they got the new car. They got the nice looking jeans. <laughs> Whatever it is. It's like we think we have to have this stuff because other people have it. It's all entitlement. It's all entitlement. You know the really dangerous thing about entitlement? It, it robs you of your joy. I mean, it snatches away every ounce of joy we have because what entitlement does, and instead of empowering you and I to really appreciate and embrace what we do have, Entitlement puts all of our energy, all of our focus on what we don't have, on what hasn't happened. And so no matter what does come our way, no matter what good does happen to fall in our lap, it's never enough. And so we continually live with this victim mentality. We're always the ones being mistreated, looked over, never recognized. We're always in a hole. There's no joy in that. Absolutely no joy in that. My wife and I recently had one of those like really honest conversations. And maybe we had a glass of wine or something, I'm not sure. But it was just one of those like great conversations where we were just being honest. And we noticed how this, this sense of entitlement was impacting our marriage. We were both walking around making these lists. And she's thinking to herself, I've been with our son all day. <laughs> I've changed six diapers. I went to the grocery store with him. Do you know how hard that is? I cleaned the house and I found time to make you dinner. And I'm walking around thinking to myself, well, you know what? I got up with him this morning. I made him breakfast. I've been at work all day. I've changed three diapers since I've been home. There's a whole lot of dirty diaper changing going on in our house right now. We make these lists the whole time. Guess what's, guess what's happened to our relationship? We start to do that. But you all wouldn't know anything about that, would you? No. Even, even the, the, scary, the scariest thing about this whole entitlement is that it's not so long until our lists start getting pointed at God. And you do not want to get into the list-making game with God. In fact, can we have a little fun right now? Can you use your imagination with me? Let's, let's pretend like somehow you managed to get this one-on-one, live and in-person meeting with God. God invites you to his office. If God has an office, I don't know. And you have this opportunity to stand in front of God and to present to God your list as to why you think the universe owes you something. Okay, and so you show up on time. You don't want to be late because it's God, right? And God's like super excited to see you. It's like, oh, you're here. I didn't think you would come. This is great. I'm so glad you're here. And, and this warm welcome has you feeling really confident in your list. And so you start. <clears throat> well, God... I say my prayers every night before I go to bed. Right? Then, then I wake up early, I make my family breakfast, I pack my kids' lunches. I pay my taxes. I'm, I'm pretty generous, right? I, no, I'm not really that I'm kind of generous. I mean, I tip pretty well, like 18%, if they do a good job. 
you know, I hardly ever leave my clothes on the floor. You know, I've been pretty good about making sure the car gets an oil change every 3,000 miles. You know, I've, I've served at the food pantry a couple of times. I've been on a few mission trips. You know, I gave that person a lift that one time when they're on the side of the road. And, and the whole time you're reading your list, like God's over there nodding his head like, yeah, yeah, that's great. You do do that. Oh, I love when you do that. You know, but then when you finish, God's like surprised. It's like, you're done? Is that it? That's all you got? Hmm. And then being God and wanting to make sure this whole thing's fair, God's like, well, do you mind if I share my list? Is that okay with you? And, and, and let's be honest, I mean, you know where this is going, don't you? It's called foreshadowing, right? It's like you're in God's turf, you're in his office, you don't want to be rude. So, sure, God, I'd love to hear your list. He's walking right into it. So, so God starts with the small stuff, doesn't want to overwhelm you. you know? The sun, the moon, the stars. It's all my idea. It came right out of here. The wind, all the different colors, the leaves change in the fall. That was my idea. I came up with that. You like that, don't you? Yeah. Chipotle lime rice. Yeah. That was all me, baby. It was all me. The mountains, the beaches, the way a fire smells. Mumford and Sons. Laughing, naps, the way a baby smells after they get out of the bathtub. That was all me. Cheesecake. Oh, yeah. Every hair on your head. That breath you just took. It's all a gift. And you know what? I could keep going on forever, literally, but I'll just wrap it up with this. Some of you got that. That was great. God says, you know what? I'll, I'll just wrap it up with this one. You ready? You're complete and total forgiveness for all of your shortcomings, all of your failures, accomplished through the blood of my son. I mean, gee, do you see, do you see how ridiculous, how ridiculous this is? Yeah, we clap for that. This, this sense of entitlement that we walk around and we're owed something, it just looks really silly. But not only that, it, it will rob us of every ounce of our joy. Now, we started off earlier saying that, you know what, we all, we all profess a belief in this God of abundance, this God of how much more. But the real question is, how do we experience that God? Now, how do we live out of it instead of it just being something we say we believe in? How does it determine how we live and who we understand ourselves to be? That's a great question. Well, first, I, th- I think it begins with, with priorities. We go back to Luke chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus says, but seek his kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6 would add, and his righteousness. And these things will be added to you as well. Essentially, Jesus is saying, listen, when, when God's kingdom, when God's reign on earth, and, and when his righteousness, the kind of living that goes along with that, when that becomes your aim, when that becomes your goal, when that becomes everything you pour yourself into, then guess what? All that other stuff becomes less important. But not only that, it has this way of sort of taking care of itself. And experiencing that the how much more of God, it's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of where are you going to find life? Where are you looking to discover your life, your meaning, your worth, your purpose? Because see, the gospel begins by telling us that you and I have been created to find our life from God. But because of sin, the broken nature of that relationship, you and I go looking for life in everything else. 
In fact, if you were to trace, if you were to take the time to trace all of your worries, your anxieties, your insecurities, all those things that make you feel like you're less of a human being, if you were to trace them to your roots, I guarantee you that you would find that they stem from the fact that you and I have been looking for life in something other than our Creator. I mean, how much of what we do or don't do is driven by this fear of what other people will think? I'm standing up here right now. I want you to like me. I'm honest. I mean, I actually spent time thinking about what I was going to wear today. I want, you to, I want you to think I'm smart and insightful. I want you to laugh at my jokes. And if you don't laugh at my jokes, I'm going to go home and feel like a loser. But, 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 how, but seriously, how much of what we do or don't do is driven by the fear of what other people will think? Man, how many of you watch The Bachelor? Come on, admit it. My wife and I am sucked in. But that show ticks me off when I watch it every week. But it ticks me off. I mean, honestly. It's a vice, okay? But seriously, all these women competing for the attention of this one guy, bleh. And they think that this is like the greatest environment to discover true love. Boy, is that twisted, you know? But then I, I love listening to him talk in the interviews like they are so madly in love with this guy that they met like 30 minutes ago. You know? <laughs> Let's just be honest. It's not about him. This is about you competing against these others, other women to, to, to prove that you're more desirable than they are. We play the same game, though. We do the same thing. And how much of what we do is driven by this need of other people's affection or attention or validation? Or, I mean, we, we, look, for, we look for life from our success. You know, we, we, can, we throw ourselves into our work and we convince ourselves that the higher we climb this corporate ladder, the happier we'll be. Or, or when we feel the need to broadcast how busy we are. How are you? I'm so busy. I'm just busy. I'm so busy. Busy, 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 busy. We're, we're bad about that, though. I mean, it's like, it's like the, the busier we sound, the more important we feel. Or, or, or we look, from life, look for life from our stuff. Do you know Americans spent around $600 billion this past Christmas buying a bunch of crap they really didn't need? Just being honest, and it's how we celebrate Jesus' birthday. I'm going to go buy me a bunch of junk that I'm just going to have to, you know, take the goodwill in a couple months. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jesus. You know, something messed up with that. But we do, and you know what? It's only a matter of time before we discover that these things, they don't deliver. They don't deliver. It's only a matter of time before we find out, you know what? You can't make everybody happy. Or, or people are really fickle. Or, or, or the corporate ladder doesn't climb high enough, or new stuff eventually becomes old stuff. Now, I am originally from Indianapolis, Indiana, which means I'm a huge Colts fan. Huge Colts fan. Anybody else in the room? Anybody? Oh, man, crickets. Crickets. <laughs> Maybe I can get some responses out of this. So naturally, I can't stand the Patriots. Anybody else? Come on. So much fun to watch them lose a couple weeks ago. Even though I can't stand the Patriots, i got to be honest, Tom Brady's story, like his, his coming into the NFL, all of that is pretty incredible. He came into the league in 2000. He wasn't drafted until the seventh round of the NFL draft. There were like 198 players picked before Tom Brady. Then he gets drafted by the New England Patriots, who at the time had a quarterback by the name of Drew Bledsoe. Remember him? He's pretty good. Well, then Bledsoe got knocked out against the New York Jets, and in steps this unknown Tom Brady. Brady would go on to lead the Patriots all the way to the Super Bowl that year, 
where they would win, and he received MVP honors. Since then, he's won two more Super Bowls. He's got a league MVP. He holds the record for the most passing touchdowns in a single season. I mean, he's been said by, by a lot of the, you know, the experts, whatever that means, that, that he, is, he is quite possibly the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. Now, he's also a multimillionaire. He's married to a Victoria's Secret supermodel. He's, he's met the president. He's met the pope. The guy has hosted Saturday Night Live. Give me a break. And he's got that great butt chin, you know? And he, here's a guy, but seriously, here's a guy who has like everything, you know, most people can only dream about. He's done all of these things that we just, oh man, that would be incredible. If anybody, if anybody's found life, if anybody's content, it has to be Tom Brady, right? I'm not so sure. I, w- I want you to listen to what he says in this interview. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I got an idea, Tom. (laughs) Let's do lunch, right? I wish you could see the whole interview because it's like, it's not like he felt like he had to say that. You can even tell from that short clip. Like, this came from right here. There's sort of this moment where he sort of, he like forgets that he's being interviewed and just gets really honest. Did you hear what he said? There's got to be more than this. Here's a guy who has made it to where so many people think you're going to find life. So many people think you're going to find contentment. If I could just get there. And he's telling us, listen, what you're looking for, it's not there. It's not there. It's got to be somewhere else. So so experiencing that how much more of God, the abundant goodness of God, it begins with our priorities. Making sure that we are finding all of our life from from God's kingdom, from from our creator. It's the only place we're going to find it. Also, I also think it's, it's, it's a matter of awareness. You know, think about it. When Jesus points our attention away from our worry, from our anxiety, what does he do? Does, does he perform some miracle where everybody suddenly gets a new iPad? No. Jesus points our attention to the birds of the air, to the flowers of the field, to these, these gifts of life that we're surrounded by all the time. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you want proof? You want to experience God's goodness? Look around. You're surrounded by it. And so really living out of this abundant goodness to how much more of God, it's a matter of gratitude. It's a matter of this keen awareness that all of life, who we are, what we have, all of life, it's a gift. And I told you I wanted to sort of let you in on some of the things that I've learned since becoming a father, a parent. And believe it or not, this entire message was inspired out of this moment that I had with my son. He turned one this past September. Now, this guy, he has got a fascination with helium balloons. He thinks they're the coolest thing on the planet. And he can see one from like a mile away, and it's just ball, 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 ball. He loves them. So on the morning of his first birthday, my wife and I snuck into his bedroom, and we put like 15 helium balloons above his bed. So, so they would be the first thing that he saw when he woke up. I will, I will never forget the look on that kid's face. He's like, I saw it for a brief moment. What, what joy, what joy actually looks like. 
And I remember standing there being so jealous of my son. (laughs) That that he could find that much joy from like $10 worth of helium balloons. And, And you know, for my son, his joy, his awe, his wonder, it came from the fact that to him, life's still all a gift. I mean, he's, he's, he's too captivated by what things are to really care that much about what they aren't. And, and you know, the, the longer we're here, the longer we're alive, I've found that the harder it is to hold on to that. You know, for whatever reason, whether it's from the accumulation of more and more stuff or, or whether it's from the frustration of, of loss and disappointment, you and I, we have a hard time really embracing, recognizing, celebrating what is, what we do have. Because we're way too busy complaining about what isn't, about what we don't have. Think about your marriage. It's like when you first got married, it's like you couldn't stop talking about each other. It's like, oh, they're the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It's all amazing. And after a couple of years, they're complaining because they're not picking up their dirty clothes. or they're not. It's all about what they don't do anymore. You know? or, or you finally get that job and you love it. Everything's great. And then like a year later, it's just, it's just that thing you complain about on Facebook every Monday morning. <laughs> oh, another Monday. But seriously, it's like, like we, we, we stop embracing and celebrating what we do have because we're too busy complaining about what we don't have. And, and, and you have to understand is that, that gratitude, we, t- we tend to live according to this lie that, that gratitude is this sort of spontaneous thing that, that happens inside of us when something good comes our way. No, gratitude's a discipline. Gratitude's actually, actually something you and I choose to do. I love what Henry Nouwen says. It says the discipline of gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that all I am and all I have is given to me as a gift of love, a gift to be celebrated and embraced. Listen, gratitude doesn't happen to us. Gratitude is something we choose to do. And the incredible thing is, is the more we do it, the more we practice gratitude, then like Jesus, the more aware we become of the gifts of life that we are surrounded by all the time. Now, some of you maybe are out there thinking, yeah, but Nick, you don't know what I'm going through right now. Man, my life is hard. I want to acknowledge that. I do. But at the same time, gratitude, when we really get this, gratitude can give us the strength to move forward even in the midst of a difficult time. I mean, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, he says this, beginning in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. When? Always, I will say it again, rejoice. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's my favorite part. And the peace of God. Don't you love that word? Which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking, well, hold on, isn't, isn't Paul like a super Christian? Oh, come on. What's Paul know about all this, right? Let me tell you something. Paul's in prison when he writes this. And he has no idea if he's going to live or die. And yet his message to us over and over and over again is rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Wake up. Wake up to the gifts of life that are all around you. See, Paul believes that it's from this place of gratitude, this place of thanksgiving, that you and I will find the strength to believe that God is up to something even in the midst of our pain. It's experiencing the abundant goodness of God. It's not circumstantial. 
It's all the time. It's about gratitude. It's about this keen awareness that whether things are good, whether things are bad, whether I have nothing, whether I have everything, whatever it is, I got to see it as a gift. It's a gift to be appreciated, to be embraced. You know, finally, it's a matter of participation. Go back to chapter 12. Jesus says towards the end of the passage, says, seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. And he goes on to say, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out joy that won't end. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes in and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, we experience the abundant goodness of God, the how much more of God, as we demonstrate God's goodness into the world around us. A couple years ago, I had the privilege of leading some high school students on a trip to Jamaica. Now, I know you all hear Jamaica and you think, oh, nice resorts. Jamaica is still a third world country. And one of the days we were, we were there, we were scheduled to, to serve in the infirmary. And it's basically a third world hospice care. It was like this concrete open air bunker where the forgotten are left to die. Now, when I saw this on our schedule, I got pretty nervous taking a bunch of high school kids to a place like that, they're going to be uncomfortable. I was going to be uncomfortable. I was blown away by these students. Now, I watched them sit on the edge of these people's beds, and they would rub lotion on their cracked hands, and they would, they would feed them snacks, and they would, they would ask them stories about their pasts, and sort of validating who they are. I was so impressed. But then that night, we were sitting around, we were debriefing the whole experience, and everybody admitted that, that they were really uncomfortable. But at the same time, they said this, God felt so close. I mean, there was just this energy. There was this excitement. There was this life in their faces. These teenagers, I mean, they could just tell that they had experienced something. You see, we're never closer to God than when we are demonstrating God's character. I mean, you, you don't experience God's love in a vacuum. It's not like you just sit in a room by yourself and God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. God's love, God love. Uh. That's helpful, but we actually experience God's love as we extend God's love. Or, or God's grace. I mean, we talk about God's grace all the time and it's incredible, it's beautiful, but how do you actually experience God's grace? You experience God's grace as you extend God's grace. As you love the unlovable, as you remember the forgotten, as you move closer to the oppressed, to the marginalized, to the people who have been pushed aside by our society. You, know, you want to know where God is? God's there. And so if you're feeling distant from God, maybe it's a question of where are you standing right now? How insulated are you to the broken things in the world? Because I can tell you where God is. I just want to be honest. I mean, if, if you're spending all of your life pursuing a, health, a nice, comfortable retirement, I feel sorry for you. Barf on that. <laughs> so we burn it down. I don't want anything to do with it. Now that ticks you off, I don't care. I'm going to Ohio in a little bit. So <laughs> there's, there's no life there. There's no life there. You know what? When I get to the end of this, I don't want to have anything left. I don't have anything left. I'm part of the United Methodist Church. And John Wesley said, man, if I get to the end of my life and I have five pounds still to my name, call me a liar. You know, so many people finish their life and they didn't give it all they had. They didn't leave it all out in the field. I don't want to do that. 
I don't want anything to do with that. And so, you know, we, we've, we've covered so much ground tonight. You know, or today, whatever it is. I've been here for a long time. I, mean, I, don't, I, don't really know, I don't really know what you need to do, how you need to respond to this. Maybe, it's, maybe for you it's a matter of priority. Maybe you're struggling to actually experience the, the abundant goodness of God because you're trying to find life in dead places. Maybe, maybe for you it's about coming back to the cross and it's about remembering that the only place you're going to find what you're looking for is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. Maybe for you it's about becoming more disciplined with, with, with this discipline of, of gratitude, of being thankful. Every morning I have to ask God to show me what I'm missing. What are those things that I'm not recognizing, I'm not seeing as gifts? Even the things that tick me off, even the things that I think are, are, are painful, that hurt I ask God, how can I see it as a gift? How can I see it as a gift? Or maybe for you, it's a matter of really examining how are you spending your time, your energy, your resources? How much of it is spent sort of trying to ensure your own comfort? And how much of it is being exhausted for God's kingdom to become a reality here in this city? So maybe it's about you moving closer to the broken things. I don't know, whatever it is. But here's my, here's my prayer for all of us today is that you and I will know, will know deep down in our bones that the God who created all of this, the God who holds it together, the God who gives us life and breath and everything else is the God who gives and gives and gives and never stops giving. And my hope is that we will begin to place all of our trust in this God and that we will understand who, who we are and how we should live in light of that. I'm going to close this in prayer in a moment, but I just want to remind you that the prayer ministers will be down in front. Uh, if there's something that you want to pray, pray with them about or you want to talk to them about. And Woodland Hills, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me be here. Can I close this? Hey, let's, let's pray, let's pray. Jesus, we're toast without you. We are. We are busted. And I just pray for all my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray for those of us who have been looking for life in dead places. Pray that you rescue us from those. Pray that you remind us that the only place we're going to find what we're looking for is at the cross. We pray for those of us who are, who are miserable, because all of our focus and attention is on, on what we don't have, I pray that you will begin to bring to the front of our minds all of the gifts that we have, even if there's only a few. I pray that we can celebrate them. And God, I pray for those of us that are just way too comfortable. Lord, I pray that you mess us up. I pray that you tear it all apart, so that we can find you in those broken places. Now we can partner with you in putting the pieces back together. Because this is about your kingdom. This is about your kingdom. We love you so much. We give you all praise and all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks again. Amen.